This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our trained comfort specialists are here to help improve the air quality of your home. So call 855-1HOUR or visit onehourair.com. Independently owned and operated. Licensed in their respective state or county. Hey everyone, before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or, if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month. The same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Use your mobile phone to get seven minutes of nonstop news from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Seven at seven, weekdays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. is up hockey fans this is the golden edge podcast the podcast where the las vegas review journal talks about hockey and weirdly enough today the sun uh, i am ben goats one of your review journal golden knight beat writers uh, ready to dive all into the event that was the golden knights outdoor game and the completion of their four game series against the colorado avalanche i am joined on the other line by my colleague dave Ch- chain dave How's it going, man? That's Dave, the weatherman, Shane. Thanks. Pretty good. You know, learned all about meteorology this week and, uh, you know, going back to college. I I actually took a meteorology class in college. I didn't do very well, though, so didn't help me a lot this week. I should have should have done better back in a sophomore year, I believe, in uh, Madison. Yeah, both of us, because that was not a class I took, but I was furiously watching the weather only to have it uh, basically slip out of my grasp and definitely beyond my comprehension. Uh, But we're very excited to talk about the weather today and how it affected the Golden Knights outdoor game, as well as, you know, a bunch of other things that are going on around the team. But first, I do want to mention that this podcast is sponsored by One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating. I also want to remind you guys to check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. And if you guys could rate, review, subscribe, Whatever you do podcasts, please do to this one. We would very much appreciate it. Uh, so, 
Dave, this past weekend, you got to take a lovely little jaunt up to Lake Tahoe to ostensibly watch a hockey game. How was it up there? Bright. Had to shield my eyes. I, uh, I don't own prescription sunglasses. I should have, uh, should have brought some, but I mean, it was beautiful. Uh, if you, if anybody's ever been to, uh, Lake Tahoe, they know what I'm talking about. Uh, I can say that I'm lucky enough to have been there a handful of times. This was probably the first time when I wasn't, um, stumbling down the street like a idiot. <laughs> uh, so I got to kind of take in some of the sights and, uh, and, and enjoy it without, uh, you know, clouded vision, I guess you could say from, from a few beverages, uh, like I usually ended up doing in a, in Lake Tahoe, but the boats were awesome. The kayaks were awesome. The snow on the mountains. I mean, it really was, you know, everything Mark Twain and everybody's described about, about that place. And unfortunately it was too nice and they couldn't get the ice right. But otherwise, yeah, it was spectacular. Yeah, we're going to get into all that. Uh, just a quick play catch up for those of you that are unfamiliar, which I'm guessing is very few of you at this point. But the Golden Knights were scheduled to play an outdoor game at Lake Tahoe at the, the Edgewood Golf Course as uh, 18th fairway on Saturday against the Colorado Avalanche. The Boston Bruins and the Philadelphia Flyers played there on Sunday. It was supposed to be this big marquee event of the NHL's kind of condensed regular season uh, NBC was supposed to broadcast both games main NBC not NBCSN uh, but unfortunately the weather didn't quite cooperate uh, but before we quite got to that Dave I mean what did you think of the the setup that the NHL was able to create up there because I know you weren't just there for the game on Saturday you got to you know see the Knights take the ice for uh, their one and only practice there on Friday as well so what did you think of kind of the hockey infrastructure the NHL was able to transport to a uh, much more remote location than they normally have their outdoor games at. Uh, I'm going to be a little bit careful in what I say here because I don't want to sound ungrateful. I certainly thought it was awesome to be there and see the way that they put this together on the fairway of a golf course. Uh, I thought it'd be a pretty spectacular golf course. Anybody who's seen, you know, that celebrity tournament uh, during the summer kind of knows, I think personally, I made a joke about this. I would have hit every flip and tree on that course had I been out there with a golf ball and some clubs and swinging. Uh, but, you know, again, the me to cover it for the media was not the greatest situation. Um, and I don't necessarily want to get into all of it, but we saw it from a distance. Uh, we got one view of it sort of behind uh, on a platform the, from the net that Philip Grubauer uh, was in twice. And we could see out to the lake and see the mountains. So we got, you know, a spectacular view. We got a taste of what everything looked like with the chalet. And like Mark Stone mentioned, you know, it has kind of this rustic feel with this, you know, it was actually a tarp, but it was designed to kind of look like wood paneling. So it had that very like mystery Alaska feel to it. But again, to actually cover it for the media was very tough. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't see squat in the first period. Um, I think I saw Samuel Gerard score. I sort of saw some people celebrating. Uh, and then the second half of the, the period, we were allowed to go over to the media platform, which was like I described in an area behind Gru Grubauer. Um, sun was in your eyes. Uh, very difficult to see. Uh, very difficult to watch any of the games and see any of the numbers on the jerseys and just follow any of the action. You couldn't see the puck uh, or anything like that. So 
in terms of me trying to tweet and in terms of trying to cover the event, in terms of, you know, actually knowing what was going on in the game, uh, not very good. And it wasn't until I got back in my hotel room and could actually watch it on TV or in the media room at a separate hotel uh, that I could actually like figure out that the Knights hadn't played very well in the first period and that they came out sort of readjusted, uh, had a much better effort in the second 40 minutes and essentially played that to a 2-2 draw. Um, but again, I mean, you know, to cover the event, I, I certainly am understanding of, you know, the time and the place that it was made for a TV event. But it was very difficult to get a sense of what was going on. Um, and so it's unfortunate because I'd like to be able to tell everybody all these great stories about, you know, how I saw this and I saw that. But, you know, unfortunately, we just didn't have a lot of access in that regard. Yeah. And, you know, you brought up that you had time to kind of go back and watch it on your hotel room because there was a lengthy delay after the first period. As uh, I'm sure everyone listening knows by now, the Knights and the Avalanche came out. They played one period on national television on NBC, and then the ice was basically deemed uh, not safe enough to be playable. And there was about an hour long delay where the league and the teams kind of figured out what they were going to do. The NHL ultimately decided to uh, basically postpone the game until 9 p.m. Pacific time later that night and move the game onto NBCSN, uh, which clearly, you know, just watching the first period and watching some of the replays appeared to be the right decision. Guys were kind of slipping and sliding on the ice, including the referees. Um, you know, Alec Martinez after the game basically brought up there was huge divots in the ice and he felt it was the right decision to postpone. Um, but obviously a lot of jokes were made at the NHL's expense because kind of the big issue was and just the fact that, you know, the temperature was high because it really wasn't that bad there. But the fact that the cloud cover disappeared and the sun was just beating down on the ice, especially the logos and the lines and causing issues, causing uh, Commissioner Gary Bettman to uh, say on national television, basically, yeah, the sun is our enemy, which is just uh, an iconic quote from the leader of a professional sports league. Uh, so, you know, obviously not great for the NHL that their marquee event got uh, derailed by weather. But obviously the league was taking a lot of hit for this. A, a lot of, you know, jokes were made at their expense. Some very funny, to be fair. But I guess where do you come down on this, Dave, in terms of how much blame the league should get for not being ready for uh, the sun to derail this entire outdoor experience? Versus kind of chalking it up to bad luck and the fact that their cloud cover disappeared and sometimes Mother Nature messes with your plans. Out of the whole thing, like I just when I heard the the Gary Bettman quote, like all I thought of is back when I was a teenager and these like you know goth friends that I had listening to like Sisters of Mercy and talking about you know the sun and, and everything like that. But I, it's hard to say. Like, how do you? You know, how do you blame somebody for a beautiful day? You know, I mean, they got exactly what they wanted. They got the picture. Uh, maybe you fault them for being too locked into trying to do it at noon and and wanting too good of a picture and and needing the sunlight and the backdrop and the landscape and, and everything like that instead of committing to like 4.30 or 4 o'clock or something like that that they did on Sunday. I don't know how TV works. I don't know how those negotiations go about in terms of, look, we have a time slot and this is what you have to fill. 
And obviously the NHL, you know, they gave it their best whirl. I mean, you swing for the fences and if you miss, you know, sometimes, you know, so be it. Gary Bettman mentioned they've done, you know, 30 of these games going into this and they've played through rain and snow. They've managed to get through the cold and it's, you know, it was, it was in the low thirties. It wasn't even like, like it was too warm in that regard. It was just like you said, Ben, it was too sunny. So how do you fix that? Like you can look at a, at a weather report and they did. And if you actually were up there, like, you know, like we were, you noticed that it was snowing in the morning. I mean, the games was, the game was scheduled at noon, you know, eight thirty, nine o'clock, you know, even a little bit later. I mean, it was overcast snowflakes kind of falling, you know, nothing hard, but kind of a dusting. If it stayed like that, it would have been perfect. And then all of a sudden it blows through and there's hardly a cloud in the sky. And the ones that are, are off in the distance, making everything, you know, just a spectacular visual and scene, but not good for hockey. It's weird because I was thinking back to when I was a kid, there was a year that I played and I used to have to go up to Lake Arrowhead in Southern California. So up by like Big Bear. And the rink, it wasn't, I wouldn't call it an outdoor rink. It was, I guess what you would say, like an open air rink. It had kind of a roof on it, but it was all around the sides open. And I don't think they could have, I don't know. It's hard to say that they could have done something like that with, you know, some sort of structure over it to protect it and still been able to create the visual and still be able to have the TV cameras and the drones and everything pick up what they wanted to pick up. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, it's typical of the NHL that they get so close to having an absolutely perfect event and they can't even get the ice right. Like of all things, you know, to have an NHL game, you need the ice and they're up in the mountains and that's what they can't get right. Right. And like you said, I'm not quite sure how much control the NHL ultimately had over a lot of things that went poorly. I mean, keep in mind, it's not like the NHL hasn't dealt with weather in its outdoor games before. So it's, you know, prepared to handle a lot of situations. Now, obviously, because of the elevation and the unique nature of this one being just like completely outdoors, this was different than a lot that they've attempted. But even for the people that I think were on uh, Twitter, just being like, well, why didn't they move the game? I mean, you mentioned the TV partner part of this, Dave. There's obviously a lot of moving parts that need to go into something like that. Uh, besides just Gary Bettman unilaterally deciding like, yeah, we'll just make it an afternoon game right now. I mean, obviously NBC's going to have a say in it. There's other teams that the NHL needs to make sure that they're, you know, working with obviously all their uh, corporate partners and stuff. I'm sure, you know, want to at least know what's going on. So it's not quite as simple as our, as people are making it out to be. That being said, despite the fact that, you know, I don't think the NHL should be getting quite as much flack as they should for this. It still was nowhere near what the league wanted or what the league was hoping for, for this event. I mean, we mentioned, you know, they ultimately played the last two periods of this game at 9 PM Pacific time. So they lost obviously a ton of fewer viewership just that way. And of course it got moved to NBCSN. So cable versus just NBC, and then uh, the next day's game, which was the Flyers and Bruins, was taken off NBC and delayed so they could avoid the same pitfalls that happened to the Golden Knights and Avalanche. And so instead, Capitals Devils was moved into the big national window 
And so the second game probably didn't get the viewership the NHL wanted either. And even though it was uh, very, very spectacular to still get the visual in that Flyers Bruins game. I mean, I thought especially in the first period when it was kind of, you know, at twilight at Sunset, it was kind of hard to pick up what was going on. The Bruins actually scored like right away in that game with their excellent first line, but it was really hard to pick the puck up. So, you know, for better or worse, or no matter whose fault it is, it definitely didn't go the way that the NHL wanted it to go. And I'm curious, Dave, what do you think? You know, we talked, uh, I think a little bit last week about how this is kind of this unique outdoor event that the NHL has never attempted before. And I think we're both people that like it when the NHL actually tries things because it's not often that they actually kind of stray from their traditions and their usual formats. And so I liked that they were kind of going outside their comfort zone. That being said, there's no question that they went outside their comfort zone and they got burned. So how, I guess, likely do we think that this kind of, you know, pure outdoor event is now going to be a one and done essentially because of that burned. I see what you did there. Thank you. Thank you. I'm a pro. I don't think it's going to change anything to be quite honest. I mean, if anything, I almost feel like it's going to motivate him even more. We've already even heard some whispers of like, you know, maybe like Lake Placid at some point or maybe something in Canada. I mean, they, here's the thing. Yes, we can joke and knock them and, and, and say, why didn't you think of this? Or why didn't you do that? Or whatever. But they got the game in. They did it safely. Nobody got hurt. They pulled off the second game. Like you said, it wasn't how they envisioned it in terms of the TV and the publicity and, you know, sort of all the eyeballs that they were going to, you know, have on them or at least intended to have on them. It didn't work out in that way, but it came off and they were so close to just having an absolutely spectacular event. Like, yeah, the ice didn't work, but if they had gotten that right, and if they can go somewhere else and create the same scene and get it right, like, I mean, it's like anything else. You get a taste of it. And now you want more. And they were right there with it. It could have been unbelievable. I Here's my bigger thing with this. Because every time you're going to go outdoors, you're always going to deal with the elements or the risk, at least, of the elements. The NHL actually sent out before that game on Saturday, like an entire contingency plan with like rules. There was going to be like potentially a hard whistle at 10 minutes in the third period, if there was too much wind or too much sun and it affected play one way or the other so that it was equal 30 minutes, you know, both ways and that it wasn't entirely, you know, two periods for one team, one for the other. So like they kind of foresaw some of these problems and they, they foreseen these problems in the past with outdoor games. They know it's a risk, but I don't think, it's going to it's going to keep them from doing it. I guess maybe my question though is should it? And when you have two points on the line, when you potentially could have had Nathan McKinnon or somebody else hits, you know, hit a rut at center ice and go down and wreck an ankle, wreck a knee, you know, take a face plant. You know, god forbid Wes McCauley got hurt, right? Like <laughs> Wes McCauley that could have got damaged, like what would I have done? It's your guy. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think it's just, it's like my bigger thing with all of this is, okay, NHL, if you're going to do this and it's fine, if you want to do your outdoor made for TV event, your winter classics and 
and all of that. But like, you have to get the ice right. And if you can't do it, these are two points. And I'm not saying the Knights would have won or lost or who, you know, who knows, but those are two points that went to Colorado that come the end of the year, who knows how they're going to, you know, how it's going to play out. And if you can't have, I guess, a fair playing surface or, or create, you know, a game with, with conditions that are conducive for both teams, you know, the bigger question is, can you continue to do it? I'd love to see it. It was great. It, it was just, it was, it was on the border of spectacular, but the biggest thing that had to happen didn't happen. At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our trained comfort specialists are here to help improve the air quality of your home. So call 855-1-HOUR or visit onehourair.com. Always on time or you don't pay Independently owned and operated. Licensed in their respective state or county. Look for 7 at 7 local streaming news from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Find it on your smartphone at the RJ app or it's available on Roku TV, Fire TV and Apple TV. Download the app and you're ready to go for 7 at 7. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. No, it's absolutely right. And we'll see where that ultimately leaves the NHL with these kind of games. But uh, as you mentioned, David, it was also a very interesting game because it was the Knights playing Colorado. It was game three of their four-game series, which wrapped up last night with the Golden Knights winning 3 nothing in Denver. That ensured that the series ultimately ended up in a 2-2 split with uh, each team winning twice in regulation, so no kind of extra points were awarded to the loser of any of those games. Uh, last night was particularly interesting because it featured uh, a once again spectacular performance from Marc-Andre Fleury, who earned his third shutout of the season, which tied him for the league lead. Uh, but also the fact that for the first time this season, we really saw Pete DeBoer go crazy with his lines. He broke up the top six for the first time. He gave, or created brand new line combinations for his top nine. Uh, the fourth line, he, he put Keegan Colasar at center between Ryan Reeves and Will Carrier, which he had done once previously so far this year. And the defense pairs were shaken up, too. Uh, and it ultimately worked out. Now, Dave, you never want to put too much emphasis on a regular season game. That's obviously very true when there's 82 of them in a normal year, but even when there's 56 of them this year, I think that can get dangerous. But how important in your mind was it for the Knights to, you know, get to two, two versus one and three last night? I mean, a four out of five, I guess on the importance scale, um, pretty high. I think it was, I think the bigger thing with it and Pete DeBoer touched on it after the game, is that it was more of a statement and it was about them two and two says more than one and three. I mean, yeah, it's the standings and all that, but like there's some, there's some back and forth here and there's some, we gotta, we're going to see these guys down the line and we have to establish in their minds that, you know, that, that they're a threat. I guess it's the other team is a threat. The Knights were able to do that. 
you know, they hadn't, they, they had one point from four games in Denver, you know, lifetime. They were able to go in there and prove that they could win on the road. They started this thing, you know, a four point lead. It got down to two. They could have potentially been tied after, you know, after Monday, depending on the result. And now they're back to a four point lead. They're in first place in the division as we, you know, as we talk, I think, you know, it's four o'clock right now. I don't know who's playing. I haven't looked at the schedule. I'm sorry. You know, but I just think, I think there's a, there's a grander kind of statement to it. Yes, it's important. And, and you mentioned it's early in the season and the standings and all that. But I think it's more of the, the, the statement that the Knights made and like Pete DeBoer wanted to see from them. Yeah, it was interesting to hear him, uh, you know, basically straight out admit it after the game that he was looking to send a message to Colorado. It's, you know, interesting to me because we don't normally kind of get you know this quite level of candor from teams during the regular season but i mean these two teams know that it might come down to them in the west division i mean obviously it's division only play in the regular season this year and then it's also division only play in the first two rounds of the playoffs and i mean mark stone mentioned after the second game i believe that the avalanche are by far the knight's or you didn't say by far, but they are the best team the Knights have played so far. And the Knights have played every team in the division besides Minnesota. And I don't think the Knights are going to uh, play the Wild uh, next weekend and all of a sudden come away being like, oh man, going to be new contender in town. So I think, you know, the Knights and Avalanche are looking at each other knowing that it's very likely going to come down to them. And so with kind of all that context surrounding those four meetings, Dave, ultimately, how do you think uh, these two teams matched up and what were some of your takeaways from the games? Well, yeah, I mean, let me start by saying I spent the whole weekend like binge watching Cobra Kai. So this whole thing, and, and as I wrote, this is like very like Cobra Kai versus Miyagi, though, and like establishing everything before the All Valley Tournament. And, you know, you got to land some blows before and and all that sort of stuff. But, but I mean, essentially I thought the Knights sort of showed that they can go toe to toe. If we, if we're building the avalanche up to be this big, you know, heavyweight and this big, bad team that the Knights are going to have to go through. Well, you know what? They're probably over in Colorado talking about how the Knights are this big bad team that the avalanche have to go through now. And I think the Knights showed, you know, that they have the ability to execute, you know, a game plan and, and that sort of have a blueprint you know, to play against the Avalanche. I think they showed it a little bit in that game in the bubble. They, I thought, carried it over somewhat into the series, especially in the bookend games. You know, you you have to, one, slow down or just contain Nathan McKinnon. They were able to do that. I would say in like two and a half of the three games, he scored a goal in the game two win for Colorado. But for the most part, he didn't do a whole lot of other damage in that game two. And then obviously shut down in the... uh the two shutout victories for the Knights. Uh, but I also thought there's an element of, you know, the Knights sitting back and kind of, you know, countering a little bit, not, not wanting to get into a track meet and trade chances with them, you know, not necessarily like, like sit in the neutral zone and trap or anything, but, but, you know, show some respect. And, and when they got in trouble was like that McKinnon goal where he got built up ahead of steam and blows right by stone and then goes right around, you know, Alex Petrangelo as he's saying, Oh boy, you know, and all of that, the games that they had success, they didn't allow McKinnon to do that. And they didn't allow the avalanche to do that. They won the special teams. They didn't allow, 
you know, the avalanche of power play goal and nine chances and they got good goaltending. I mean, say what you want. Okay. You know, Marc-Andre Fleury made, you know, some pretty spectacular saves in a couple of those games, but Hey, he's on your team and that's what you need. So I think we saw in a lot of ways, the formula, it's harder to execute, you know, all four games or, or all seven games of a series, whatever it might be. But I think we sh- we saw that that the Knights can come out of there with with some confidence that that's how you have to play against them, and if you do, you can be successful. Absolutely. Now, unfortunately, these two teams don't meet each other again until the end of March, the twenty fifth and the twenty seventh in Colorado, and then they wrap up their kind of eight meetings throughout the year in late April before. Potentially, we'll see, obviously, because things still have to uh, fall into place for it. Potentially meeting in the postseason in May as well. I want to hit a couple other things before we get out of here. I mean, Dave mentioned the solid goaltending. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury just continues to kind of own the season for the Knights. He's second in the NHL in save percentage and goals against average for goalies with more than one start. Uh, He ranks first in goals saved above average, according to natural stat trick. And then uh, today, Tuesday, as we're recording this, there was some interesting stuff coming out because Knights owner Bill Foley appeared on the Cam and Strick podcast, which covers hockey and made some interesting comments vis-a-vis the flurry trade rumors that were uh, flying around fast and furious in the offseason. Uh, I guess, Dave, ultimately, what did you kind of make of those? OK, so I have a couple opinions about this, to be quite honest. Um, there was a, there was a couple of things that that Bill Foley said in the podcast. It, it, part of it I understand from his perspective. If he really likes Mark Andre Fleury, like that's very clear. But what I don't understand, and what I think is garbage about his comments, is so he said in the 2017-18 season that he had a conversation with Mark Andre Fleury and his wife in the elevator, and basically said, you know, you're going to retire here. So. If he said all that and he's, you know, standing by him right now, well, like, why, why did he go and trade for Leonard? And then why did they go and sign for him? Because I don't get, like, I don't get all of that. Like, you say one thing and then your, your actions are completely different. Like, as the owner, you approved all this. So, like, it's all self-created in that regard. And the whole thing just kind of smacks of like buyer's remorse on Leonard, which I think is, I don't know, just a little bit weak. Like they basically, I mean, this is the thing, like, like, let's like, let's look at this. Honestly, they wanted to toss aside Mark Andre Fleury back then. They thought he wasn't good enough. They went out and got Robin Leonard. They signed him to a contract. He earned the starting nod according to part, uh, Pete DeBoer in the bubble. And they, they went out and tried to shop Mark Andre Fleury. And what I thought was interesting was Bill Foley said it had they had a trade or a deal in place for Mark Andre Fleury that would have made sense. That at that point, Bill Foley would have then had a problem with it. But I don't understand. Like, how are you even get it? Let it get to that point, I guess. So we'll see. I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm just really dumbfounded by the whole thing and why he would say it now and and create another controversy as a goaltending situation for the team. But I, I mean, I guess we'll see what happens in the off season. I mean, they have $12 million allocated salary caps, not going anywhere. Maybe it means they can move out Braden McNabb or something like that down the road 
and free themselves up a little bit of room and still keep Mark Andre Fleury. But I, you know, I don't know. Does he retire as a Golden Knight? It, it does. This doesn't put it this way. I don't take away from this podcast that Bill Foley says that Mark Andre Fleury is now going to retire as a Golden Knight. We'll see. Right. I mean, things change, and they've made that very clear in terms of so many, you know, players recently. Where I think all of us assumed Nate Schmidt was a borderline untouchable until he wasn't. Uh, Paul Stasny was a very important part of the team until he wasn't. And Marc-Andre Fleury, as you were hinting, uh, was an expendable part of the team until all of a sudden he, you know, is kind of the, the season's quarter pole Vesna leader. Now all of a sudden he's back to being untouchable things. Yo-yo a lot these days, just like uh, with you, Hinty Robin Leonard is still uh, out with an upper body injury. And well, he was not on uh, the trip to either Lake Tahoe or Denver. And we'll have to see, uh, whether he's back in action anytime soon, but uh, things happen very quickly in the hockey and professional sports world. So there's still obviously a lot up in the air that uh, has to be determined with the Golden Knights current and future goalie situation. Uh, other th- topics we wanted to quick hit uh, Ryan Reeves and the Vegas Golden Knights Foundation received a $100,000 donation from Bridgestone as part of kind of the whole outdoor game festivities. And they're using that money to build a ball hockey rink in North Las Vegas. So just wanted a quick shout out that that's very cool. Um, and then the last big piece of news this week is that Peyton Krebs, the Knights 2019 first round pick and basically top overall prospect, has left the Henderson Silver Knights after five games. He had five points in those five games, which were his first in a uh, pro hockey league. But his Western Hockey League team's junior team is about to start playing in a bubble in Regina, Saskatchewan. So uh, get excited, Peyton. And he was required to head back. Uh, Players who uh, have not turned 20 before uh, December 31st in a given season or have not completed four junior seasons are not eligible to play in the American Hockey League. Krebs turned uh, 20 uh, just a, about a month ago on January 26th. So he is not technically AHL, AHL eligible. He was allowed to play in the AHL because his own league, just own junior league, hadn't started up yet. Well, now it is. They're going to start. I believe it's March 12th is when the WHL is tar- targeting his division's uh, start of the season, which obviously I have to assume if you're Peyton Krebs and if you're the Golden Knights, is a little frustrating because he had made it to the AHL. He was playing well in the AHL. And now he has to go back to Canada, undergo a quarantine and start playing against kind of an inferior level of competition. And his story is certainly not uh, unique because this is kind of happening all across the NHL and the AHL. The only way for the Knights to potentially have avoided it is if they called Peyton Krebs up to the actual NHL roster, but obviously because of their salary cap constraints, that's not something they can really do right now. Um, But I'm curious, Dave, because, you know, this is happening and I'm sure there's probably a lot of NHL GMs out there that are none too happy about having to send their, you know, 19 year old prospects back to junior. Do you think that this is going to cause the league to try to, revisit some of the finer points of its negotiations with the, the CHL, the Canadian hockey league, which controls three of the major junior leagues in Canada. Personally, I don't, I mean, I think it's sort of been in place, you know, for a while. I think everybody has a sense of 
you know, there are maybe at the most, probably a handful of exceptions in every draft class or, you know, two draft classes, depending on if you're looking at eligibility that can make the jump straight from juniors to the NHL. And most guys, I mean, I guess, yeah, you, you know, maybe you'd like to have that, that middle ground for some of them. Um, Peyton Krebs, I think is too good for juniors right now. And I don't think it makes him worse. Like he's not going to go back and play well and dominate and get, get worse. It's not going to stunt his growth. I mean, I look at it as an outsider and say, like, I'm just worried about him being so good that you worry about him getting hurt. You, you know, sometimes kid, these kids can't keep up. And you stick a leg out, you know, or something, and you take Peyton Krebs' knee with you, something like that. You, you just you cross your fingers that nothing like that happens. But, I mean, I feel like this has been going on for a while. I, I have a hard time th- believing that they're they're going to change it just all of a sudden. But, you know, if anything, you know, we've learned the last year has changed, you know, change viewpoints and outlooks on on several topics. So maybe this has helped, I guess, reshape, you know, how people view it. And maybe they think that that there's more kids that would be ready for the AHL, that there's a different option. I just I have a hard time believing that would that would really change a whole lot at this point. Yeah, we'll ultimately have to see. But at least the talking point right now is that Peyton Krebs. No longer a Silver Knight, he will continue his development with the Western Hockey League's Winnipeg Ice for the rest of the season. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Golden Edge Podcast. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. As a reminder, we are sponsored by One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating. Also, please check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. And if you guys could uh, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, please do to this one. It would be very much appreciated. I'm Ben Ghost. He's Dave Shane. We are the Golden Edge Podcast, and we'll talk to you guys again real soon. At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our trained comfort specialists are here to help improve the air quality of your home. So call 855-1HOUR or visit onehourair.com. Independently owned and operated. Licensed in their respective state or county. Please check out our new 7 at 7 newscast weekdays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Get every bit of local news you need in seven minutes from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.